add a bit of sunshine to your home with Easy Living Furniture's Garden Furniture Sale with stunning dining sets, cracking egg chairs and relaxing sun loungers that are in stock and ready for delivery there really is something for everyone and with an extra 10% off sale prices and free delivery over 399 now really is the time to let your garden shine Garden Sale now on Visit Easy Living Furniture Don't miss out Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie Leia Healthcare It's good to live Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry Welcome to the Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me Carl Henry Folks, I hope your New Year's resolutions are going really well and you're sticking to them. Uh, This episode of the Real Health Podcast is one I think you're absolutely going to love. It's something that is so common in the modern day. We're addicted to our phones, our screens, to work, to being busy. Uh, Burnout is a really common problem. So with that in mind, I've authored Siobhan Murray in studio, psychotherapist and author of The Burnout Solution, 12 Weeks to a Camera You. Siobhan, welcome to The Real Health Podcast. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. So tell me about the book. How's the book going? It's going really, really well. Uh, I think it's a good time of year to to have it come out into the world. Um, people have just battled through uh, stressful Christmases, generally speaking, um, overindulged, uh, might just feel a little bit burnt out being around family, culmination of the whole year behind them. And it's time to reassess, make changes. Christmas is a really stressful time. I know we did an episode on, we released it uh, the Friday before Christmas with Neil O'Brien, all about how to manage Christmas and the stress of it, uh, simple ways to do it, and it went, it, went, it went down really, really well. Tell us about yourself a little bit first, uh, about your own background. I'm always fascinated by people who write books, and I think it's crucial when they're writing about topics that they've been through the issue or the topic themselves, especially if they're advising people. So tell us a little bit about you. So uh, I'm 49, and I started work in the music industry many, many years ago. I started in the music industry here, moved to London, worked for phenomenal artists. Uh, I had the, the the pleasure working with Elton John. I worked with uh, drum and bass artist Goldie. To say that was frantic is an understatement. Even working for Elton was, um, I would describe him as when he was good, he was very, very good. And when he was bad, it was duck. Um, So it was a very full on. You will be full on in the office and then it would be very full on outside of the office in the evening. You would be going to gigs, a lot of drinking. Um, Did that up in through my 20s, came home, set up the Ronald McDonald's Children's Charity here in Dublin. Um, It was went through the motions of using all the contacts I had, got the Ronald House built in Crumlin Hospital. Um, But what had catapulted me to come home was just that feeling of by 24, I bought my first apartment in London, a time when everyone else was, I suppose, just going out on a Friday night. And I I was putting all these self-imposed expectations on myself and trying to do too much without letting go of anything. Yet from the outside, even listening to that, Mm. it, it would sound like you're living the dream. You're in London, you have an oh. apartment, you're 24, you're working with rock stars, celebrities, mm. going to parties, going to events, mm. VIP everywhere, yeah. the best of everything. Yeah. That to a lot of our listeners yeah. would be the dream. Um, especially I think a lot of our younger listeners who have grown up with the likes of X Factor and all those kind of shows yeah. and it's about celebrity and the bigger and the better. That sounds like the dream. Absolutely. And what I know now 
is that I didn't know then is I am an introvert. So I can stand in front of audiences of anything from 100 to 1,000 people. I can talk about the topic that I, I know and love. Um, not a problem. Socially, it uh, took me giving up alcohol, which I did 11 years ago, f to realize that I needed to drink in order to be able to cope with being around people. So I was around people an awful lot, which meant I drank an awful lot. So it was, it was, I thought I was just doing what everybody else did, but I was doing it because that was my only way of being able to be sociable. It was a coping mechanism. Utterly, utterly a coping mechanism. So whereas on the outside, it seemed to everybody, you know, this is, this is a fabulous lifestyle. For me, it was a real struggle it, because it, it wasn't something I was comfortable with. But now, because I now know my limitations and I now know in social situations when I need to pull back, I am very much, I say yes to things and I know when to say no to things. And I'm OK with that. And I think that's one of the very important things with burnout as well, is knowing how and when to say no. And what was that for you? When did you come to the point where you realised that you were that you were burnt out, that you had the symptoms of it? Uh, or is it a lot of it on reflection when you look back at that time in London? Well, I think in London, I was definitely, I got to a point in my late 20s where I was just exhausted. I was just, this was, I'd fall asleep whenever I sat down. I mean, for the age I was, I was uncharacteristically, I, I, I could have had an ailment, except I didn't. I was just, literally, I would come in from work, I'd sit down, I'd fall asleep. Getting up the next day, it, again, on the outside, it looked like it was a great life, but to me, it, and it was, and they were great people, but it was, it was, I found really hard to do. So that's when I kind of made the decision to move back home. Um, having said that, I managed to pretty much burn myself out last year in writing the book on burnout. How ironic is that? I'm writing about <laughs> things going, oh my God, that's me. There's another one. Oh my God, checklist, checklist, checklist. Because I had taken on in the space of a year, I had a full client load. Uh, I'm a single mum to two boys. I had just worked on the, the TV documentary Stressed. Um, I had trained to become a personal trainer. Um, and that was full on. It was more than I had thought it would be. I thought it would be just lift That's these a lot weights. of balls in the air. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't take any balls out. I call it the big pot of life. It's like, um, for your Irish listeners, we'll get this. Uh, it's like having a massive big pot at Christmas time and putting the ham in the pot and there's water and the water rises up a bit. And then we start putting some potatoes and onions and carrots and things in to give it flavor. But the water just keeps rising and rising. And that's what I was doing till it was overflowing. Uh, there was no space, there was no water, nothing in and the pot just gets burnt and everything in it gets burnt and it's no good to anybody. And that's what I pretty much did, even with the foresight that I have of manage myself because what I did was I would get up, I get up early at 5.30 in the morning and I would maybe train. But now I wasn't training because I was writing the book. So all my good stuff was being pushed to the side in order to meet these expectations I put in myself. Prioritizing everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So it this time around, it took me probably a good two months of being very, very focused, um, of bringing things back in gradually to as opposed to going, there's the book, it's done. Now I'm going to go back to the gym five days a week and I'm going to force myself to eat really well as opposed to bowls of bran flakes picking at them. Um, it, just slowly, 
So, and that's with foresight. And because I think recovery from burnout takes time. It's not, and, and I see a lot of people getting very frustrated that with, you, they, they realise that they need to do something and they do it for two weeks and then they go, but I don't feel any better. Which is around now for our listeners. The January news resolutions, the typical yeah. time, probably three to four weeks in, where all of a sudden it gets hard, it gets yeah. real. Yeah. And the, they begin to wobble. Yeah. They're not quite so sure. The motivation le- levels begin to drop. Yep. And all of a sudden they're kind of, they start to go back to the, all the old habits that yeah. they promised they wouldn't. Yeah. And I think that's because a lot of people, they, they do these New Year's resolutions, but they may take on too many. Uh, being very optimistic, and that's great. Uh, so it's either I'm going to start taking up X, Y, and Z, or I'm going to give up X, Y, and Z, as opposed to just maybe one thing. And I kind of think if we broke New Year's resolutions down into 12 and did a new month resolution, that would give us 30 days to get a new habit, regardless if it's giving up or taking on board, into our systems and then add another one in. I like it. Pick one, mm. one goal in one. It's good. Mm. 12. It's like your magic number. Yeah. Uh, I in the book, it's 12 weeks to reclamer yeah. you. There's 12 stages that you yeah. basically get people to go through. Yeah. And I'd like to chat through those stages. Mm-hmm. Obviously, don't give too much away. You want people to buy the book. <laughs> but in the same boat, it's a really nice structure, uh, I think, for listeners to to go through in their heads or even to write mm-hmm. some stuff down while they're listening to the podcast yeah. and analyze their own life a little bit. So the first mm-hmm. is, I suppose, are you burnt out? Yeah. What are the signs? What should people be looking for? What are the obvious things? What are the what you know? What are the the triggers? I suppose to re- to realize that you are burnt out. Well, there's there is a quiz at the very first, at the beginning of the book where people can go through the checklist. And what I would say, and I do want to say this, Carl, is there is a depression can come as a as a result of burnout. And if somebody who's reading the book or listening to this feels that they really are quite dark, please, please, please go to your GP. This book is not a replacement for something like that. Um, depression doesn't bring on burnout. It's kind of the other way around. But there are in some of the, the symptoms I'm going to say, people are going to say, well, that sounds like a bit like depression. You know, there is that feeling of disconnectedness, not feeling appreciated, whether at home or in work, um, just not feeling um, worthy of be, being valued um, and you can see that a lot in in people at home with teenagers and with if they're the stay at home mum or dad, um, people just come in and kind of go, what's for dinner? And there's just that continual drudgery builds up where they don't feel that they're being appreciated. The same can happen in work. The, you can have a conflict of personalities. It all leads to these outside influences and just as much you've got your inside influences. So people who, their personality types, perfectionists, because there is no such thing as perfection. It is a flawed theory. It's a flawed theory. Um, People who strive for work-life balance, and I have a whole section on that, which I will speak to you about because it's it's my little bugbear. Um, People who take on too much, like multitasking and stuff like that, these are all... It can be outside attributes that are going to get you to a stage of burnout. But I suppose the difference I would say with burnout uh, and depression, you know, that feeling of depression where you want to just put the duvet over your head and you don't want to see anybody. People who are going through burnout, they get up, they go through it. They just keep on one foot in front of the other, but they become more and more and more 
disconnected. They might be drinking more alcohol. They might be eating more sugar. They might be sleeping more or sleeping less, um, not exercising, just no energy. So it's a it's a cycle, for want of a better word, that you get yeah. caught up in. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think, and, and I know I'm probably, well, it's, it, it, it's still part of, you know, the, are you stressed is what is stressed. If you think, and I'm sure you, you would be aware of this, that when you get stressed, your adrenaline is is up at full force. Um, and that's great when it's just crossing the road when you shouldn't and is a car coming too quick and then it, it, you, you come back down to a normal level. But to back up stress, that fight or flight response that we have, we then get a surge of cortisol. So of glucose, sorry, we get a surge of, of glucose, which is what gives us the energy to fight or flight because we have to get out of that extreme situation because that's what the body thinks it is. So when that drops, when the stress goes away, we have that sugar plummet. So in good old fashion, and it's funny, even knowing this, it wasn't until I was researching the book, I never really copped on to why do we give people who've had a shock a glass of orange juice or a cup of tea with two sugars? It's to bring their sugar levels up. Well, people who are in continual low-grade stress, suffering from burnout, are more prone to be grabbing the sugary snacks mm -hmm. during the day or alcohol at night because of the sugar content in it. But it mightn't be that obvious, oh, I'm just eating all the time, but it's, it just keeps giving them that boost so it can bring up the glucose. Okay, great. Second stage is about the how. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. The how of how it happens to you. Uh, it's, I suppose, it, again, it's it's different personalities and different types. It's uh, people who can, a lot of people who work in the caring profession, and that's where the, the term burnout first came from, um, would be doctors, nurses, solicitors. Um, now it is people who are putting massive expectations on themselves, overloading social media, uh, feeling that they need to be the best at work, to take work home from them, not switch off, um, that, that not having their boundaries in place, not having uh, a structure for themselves, um, that all leads to how burnout can affect people. And is that a societal, uh, a result of society now, that we're kind of almost fine-tuned to having the bigger the better, mm -hmm. to working harder, to thinking the only way to get something is to work every single hour that there is, yeah. to be always on in terms of, even in terms of business, in terms of your phone, in terms of social, mm -hmm. in terms of emails, that you surround yourself with everything permanently all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I'm, I'm self-employed and I've, so I've done both. I've done corporately, I've done music industry, not for profit, and now I work for myself. I probably work longer hours now in a week than I have ever done for anybody else, but I am very disciplined in the hours that I work. Laptops doesn't come into my room. Uh, phones do come into my room, but they're charged at the far side. They go automatically on Do Not Disturb at 9 p.m. every night. Um, because if I don't do that and somebody calls me and I answer, I've given somebody permission to call me. So, and then, then if I get annoyed that somebody's called me at nine, that's, it, the onus is on me. I have to put my boundaries in place. So the only person who I have on favorites in that is my mother because my two kids are in my house. Other than that, if something happens outside in the world at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, there's nothing I can do till the following day. Mm -hmm. So uh, so hence I just get stressed and 
that just adds to me feeling that I that need to do something. So I would be now very, very clear with my boundaries. Okay, so, you, so people should set their boundaries, decide Absolutely. what they are and put them in place and set them and stick to them, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I taught, and that's one of the chapters will be, uh, is all about boundaries um, and knowing what your boundaries and being comfortable with putting your boundaries in place, owning it. Because I think we suffer very much with guilt of if we say no, we won't be liked or they'll think I'm a bad person. Or the lovely word, which I think we're so hung up with, you know, you'll be selfish. You'll be seen as selfish. Well, selfish, if it's in order to keep your mental and physical health well, is not selfish. It means then when you are with other people and you're working family, then you're the best that you can be rather than cranky, irritable and not actually wanting to be with them. But they're out of obligation. So tell us about the internal and external stress then and, and the diff- because different because there are two very, very different mm. types. Yeah, so the external stresses would be very much the the environment around. Um, you're going to have your full, uh, too much email, digital technology. Um, at the, I see so many people say to me that they are uh, responding to emails at 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, I'm not sure why. Guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, my, my wife is in the room for this recording uh, of the Real Health Podcast and she's looking at me saying, yeah, that's you. I'm like, yes, yeah. that is. That definitely is me. It's a good thing that I can't <laughs> see her right now because I'd say she'd be going, that's him. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah I do yeah. that. I'm terrible at it. It's, well, you know, it's, again, if something's not causing you a problem, then that's okay. And I would say this about, about alcohol. You can have somebody who has a drink every couple of nights a week, whether they have it, whether they don't have it, it's not a problem. You can have somebody who has one glass of wine a couple of nights a week, and if they don't have it, it's a problem. They get angsty, they go, but it's Thursday, I always have a drink on Thursday, I have to have a drink. That's when something's an issue. It's when it's causing you or those around you an issue. If checking your emails, if you're not feeling, oh God, this is real, I can't believe I'm doing this now. If you're doing it because there's your pocket, you put your boundary in place and that boundary might suit you. Your boundary is not gonna be the same as my boundary. So I know my boundary at nine o'clock at night is I'd rather get up at five and someone else would go, get up at five? Why on earth would you do that? I actually work better doing an hour in the evening. So it, it is about finding your boundaries, but not doing it at five and 11. That's where now you're just becoming all things to all people. Internal, you're going to have things like your limiting self-beliefs. The way you, if you think by and large, when we're all born, we're all born with the same general concept of the world. And if we felt that we couldn't do something, you would have no toddler getting from crawling to walking, falling, walking, falling, and eventually walking properly. Because as soon as they start falling, they think I'm not good enough. But when we get to adults, when we fall in anything, we think we're not good enough. But we weren't born like that. It's because along the way, whether it's parents, teachers, peers, society have told us, you know, you're not good at that. You might not be, but you might be really good at something else. But if you tell somebody that enough, they become their limiting self-belief. And things like limiting self-beliefs can cause burnout. Working within environments where your core values, what you believe to be true, don't align with where you're working, that can be a massive, massive stress. 
Um, and, you know, and I talk a lot about that, about knowing what your core beliefs are. And it isn't necessarily that you're going to be able to leave your job. But if you're able to know what they are, know that they don't align with someone else and protect yourself, that's a start in the right direction. So it's very much about control in many respects, mm-hmm. but learning about yourself a little bit, both internal, internal and the external. Yeah. I suppose addressing it and writing, you know, plan it out a little bit, map it out in terms of writing them down and then making sure they fit into your lifestyle mm-hmm. and that they work for you. Um, folks, you are listening to The Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Siobhan Murray, psychotherapist and author of The Burnout Solution. We're going through some of your 12 kind of stages. I want to flip it on its head now a little bit. Okay. So we've looked at the, you know, addressing the issue, analysing it a little bit, identif- the identification of the burnout, um, of things that might cause burnout mm-hmm. for you. Once you've done that, then where do we go? That's the, and that, 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 that's, that, that's the next part of the interview. Yeah, so it is, uh, if you think of the foundations of a house, you have to have the foundations. So I could sit here and go, let's talk about gratitude and let's talk about boundaries and multitasking, and that's all in the book. But if you do not have the foundations and your foundations is your sleep, your exercise and your nutrition, if you don't have those in some way stable, then the rest of it is not going to stick because that's where I've done gratitude for two weeks and actually this just isn't working because you're still only getting four hours sleep. And for me, I call sleep the mother of self-care. It is... without a shadow of a doubt, the most important thing. And, and, you know, and and I'm saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, but water is as well, and so is food, and, uh, you know, and so is exercise. But actually, sleep is the one thing that if you're not getting good, healthy sleep, then your cognitive reasoning, your ability to process situations are completely out the window. Um, and I describe this, if you think of your brain at night, and um, and I'm very visual, so for people who obviously can't see my hands, Carl is looking at me waving my hands around fanatically here. If you think of your brain, and at night time, your brain shrinks down. So it's gone to sleep, and it's now just getting softer and softer. And what happens is a fluid passes over right through the brain, and it's like a car wash. It's like somebody has power hosed the brain So it gets rid of all the wear and tear from that previous day, all the decisions, all the interactions, all the conflict, good times, bad times, everything that's happened during the day. It gets power washed, really clean, like you brush your teeth and then you get up in the morning with this fabulous, sparkling, brushed brain. If that's not getting done, if you're getting two hours sleep or then you're waking up in another two hours sleep and then that's not getting cleaned. So then the processing and the cognitive reasoning and the decision making the following day, that's where people get just, I can't remember, or I'm really irritated because they haven't slept. So for me, sleep would be the most important, which is why I would be asking people not to take their phones to bed, not to take the laptop to bed, leave Netflix series downstairs um, in another room and read a book. Just allow your body to to calm down. Um, and there's lots of different ways that you can do that. And, and there's sleep apps and there's there's different. I, I talk about it in the book, you know, the lighting, how you can get your melatonin, which is what allows us to, to fall asleep. 
how to increase it. There's drinking milk, eating bananas. You, there's loads of stuff in the in the book to help you. But if you don't have that going, then you're really you're you're pushing water up a hill. So the pre-sleep routine is almost like a digital detox. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And we it's something that we've heard again. Every expert who comes in, every, every person who comes in and talks about sleep, mm -hmm. they all talk about the same mm -hmm. form of digital detoxing before you go to bed to, to increase the quality uh, and the quantity of the yeah. sleep that you get. Yeah. I mean, I have on my phone and I, I, I have my, use my phone for everything on my phone. My phone bleeps at me. Uh, 45 minutes before bedtime and it goes, it's time for bed. So I know I have 45 minutes. So it's not, oh, I'm going to bed now. So it, then it automatically goes on do not disturb and then I do all the bits I have to. Um, so I know that by the time I'm walking into my bedroom, I'm not thinking, oh, I forgot to write that down or I forgot to do this or I forgot to do that because I've taken, I do five, 10 minutes in my kitchen, again, not in my bed with a notebook beside it. In my kitchen, I write down anything that is in my head that I need to do for the next day. And I leave it there in mm. the kitchen, not upstairs. Talk us through, I suppose, daily tools or daily toolbox to reduce the chances of burnout or maybe the impact of stuff on your day that improves your health during the day. Well, so what I would say is, is knowing your boundaries. And if you're working within a, uh, a company, to be okay with yourself to say something along the lines of, you know, if if you want me to do something, that's great, but I won't be able to finish doing what I'm doing. Nobody's going to get fired for saying that. Um, telling your boss where to go, it, it, you know, completely different. But I think we, we're, we, we get really nervous about how to manage our boundaries. And if you're nervous about saying something like that, Make sure you stand up when you're saying it. Don't sit down because it actually affects your brain. Um, one of the other things, and I talk about it as well, is the power of our language, our own self-language. If we're going, I can't ask for a raise or I can't ask to leave my desk for a sandwich because everyone else is sitting here and I feel really bad. You're programming into your brain. So to really look at your own language, these are things that cost nothing. Um, Eating, eating just a little bit better because that fuels your body, it fuels your brain. If you change one meal a day, uh, I know obviously I should be encouraging everybody to do all meals. But, you know, this is about slowly. This is about doing small things one by one so people don't get more overwhelmed. And walking, exercise, 15 minutes minimum a day. So that nobody can turn around and go, well, I read that girl's book, but you know what? She said I had to go to the gym and I had to work out for 45 minutes every day and I, I don't have time. It's not that. Just get outside in the rain, in the sun, in the snow. doesn't matter. Get fresh air. 15 minutes one way, 15 minutes the other, you're back home. And I think everybody can find that time. One of the things I'm getting from the interview, and it's great, is the fact that you're making it all very simple. Which is, is brilliant, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's a, a crucial thing for people. I think as a as an area, health and things like this can be overcomplicated, but you're making it very very simple. And the next tip I want to kind of finally talk about, and you're chatting uh, to us about it before we went on air, is life map and, and vision boards mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about your own experience with vision boards, and then how what it is, how people can do it, and why they should do it. Well, so I would set intentions. Um, I I've kind of steered away more recently from the word of 
my goal setting for the year, I now have intention setting, um, which kind of takes a little bit of pressure away. A goal kind of for me becomes something quite harsh. Intention, I have to visualize and intention also includes me as opposed to the outside. So if I'm saying my goal is to have some fancy, fabulous car, which I don't because I really it's four wheels and, and a piece of steel. But if I have an intention of I have an intention of driving this lovely car, I'm now suddenly in the car. So that's connected me more visually into what I want rather than it being something externally that I want. Um, And in 2017, I have a vision board and on my vision board, I have lots of words that I like and things, places I want to go to. But it's stuff that that creates a really positive feeling for me rather than when I get this, I'm going to feel much better when I have the bigger car. I'm going to feel much better. It's could be could be a picture of the Aran Islands. And when I go to the Aran Islands, I'm going to feel this way. It's a it's a feel good board. Yes. As opposed to a as opposed to having the, the vision of the big goal of the bigger of, of like the bigger house or the bigger car, even though that might make you feel good, it can be simplified to a feel good board. Yeah. And it's about things that remind you that you to feel good. It very, very much so, because that's what it is, is that we're so busy is we're so busy trying to get over here, you know, 10 steps down that we forget that here is great, you know, and you you, you see it. The, the person who has two stone they want to lose and they lose three pounds and three pounds and three pounds and then they still got five to lose and suddenly they're fixated on the five, not on the amazing work that they have done. All, and it's hard and it's, it's they've blood, sweat and tears to get them to where they are. But the focus is what they don't have, not on what they ha- do have. And I think that's where we kind of get a little bit sucked into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, with with my vision board in 2017, I had on, I had really wanted to work on TV. And I wanted to work on TV because I want people to realize that understanding stress and burnout and anxiety, that it can be simple because I talk very simply, um, very visually and very honestly. And I also wanted to write a book. And I have both of these things on my vision board. And within 40 minutes, one day, November 2017, um, I got a call from a production company and from a publishing house and asking me to to work on both. And it, it has always surprised me that if you believe that you can get somewhere, it's not about the money, because interestingly enough, neither were about the money, both were about something I wanted to do. So I have yet to put up the lotto with a blank check. I think that was one of the things with the law of attraction. You know, it's it's because it's not about that. It's about it's about what you feel on the inside. So it's, it's very much the it, it's a really good way of expressing about I suppose subliminal messaging. Yeah. Uh, the secret, the book that was released. Several years ago, it was all about that. Conor yeah. McGregor talks about it. Yeah. Uh, regardless of what you think about him, I wouldn't be his biggest fan, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he's done, you have to admire. Oh, that's. And I mean, it's very much about that. It's about he, you know, the thing he really wanted to do. Yeah. Was to be the the, the champion. Yeah. And to be the best. And you, and and in the process of doing it, he he didn't talk about I'm going to be. He took ownership and said I am before he even was. 
So he believed it in the here and now. And I think that's one of, you know, when you talk about I'm going to be um, I, I'm going to be a size 10. Well, you can still be whatever that is. You can still be it here and now and feel it and own it. And I think and there was one other thing I wanted to say, because the, the work life balance thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I feel uh, a soapbox coming on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think the pressure that has been put on us for this work life balance is that we're all striving really hard to get to this elusive work life balance, which is over here. And everybody's talking about it. And we're so busy that none of us are here. We have no idea what it is. And there is no work life balance. So if somebody is working really hard on a project in work, then chances are they're coming home late to work, their wife, their partner, their kids, whatever, they're kind of getting pushed to the side. But that's for a short period of time. Accountants, when they're doing year end, different industries, there are different times of the year where that pressure comes on, where that, that's not work-life balance. So then when somebody goes on holiday for two weeks, there's no work. They should, in an ideal situation, not be checking their emails or making calls, but they should be there and work. So it's about understanding counterbalance, that if you do something for working year end for a period of time, that you counterbalance it with something afterwards. OK. Mm. OK, so it's about a lot. It's about not looking for an, a daily or a weekly like it's a the counterbalance. Chart. Yeah, this pie chart, because that's, for me, a visual, this work-life balance is like a pie chart. And if I'm not exactly hitting this pie chart, then I'm not doing what everybody's telling me I should. So now I feel bad because why can't I manage this work-life balance and everyone else seems to be, and then I'm just obviously not good enough. Whereas there is no work-life balance. I like it. Yeah. What a great note to finish on. There's no work-life balance. It, it, it's it's because people do strive for it. It's almost the, the buzzword yeah. of the moment. Yeah. How's your work-life balance? And yeah. actually, well, the fact it may not exist, but it's about counterbalancing it. When you rec recognise and you will have times where you are super busy. Yeah. For myself, it's <laughs> currently, I'm, it's like that mm -hmm. because we're filming on top of all the work that I do. So it's, it, it's exactly like that. But we counter that with a week off when the, when the show TV and show you, finishes. And, and for you at this moment in time, you haven't taken anything out of your pot You've just added something that comes once a year into your pot, so it makes it super busy, and you'll soon be adding more into that pot. But it will, you know, that the filming and the show comes to an end. So then there's a period of it goes back to your normal level of work until the next added project comes in. So that's what I'm talking about the counterbalance. And because and, you couldn't sustain the level of work that you do right now all the time then you will burn out. But you can do it in pockets because you know there's an end to it. Balance it out. Siobhan Murray, thank you so much for joining us on The Real Health Podcast. Tell us again about the book. So The Burnout Solution, 12 Weeks to a Calmer You. Um, there are loads of worksheets in it and there are spare worksheets that you can download from my website. Great, which is? Which is www.twistingthejar.com. Um, Twitter is the same handle, uh, Instagram, but primarily most of my information is on the website. Okay. Twistingthejar.com. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in, folks. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Real Health Podcast. We are very quickly approaching our 800,000 listener, working the way, our way towards that magic million mark that we set ourselves as a, 
as a goal, I'm afraid, Siobhan, for the, for the first 52 episodes of the podcast, uh, one of my targets was to hit a million listens in the first 52 episodes. And currently we're ahead of schedule. So thank you so much for listening in. As ever, do send your questions um, into us or guest requests into us as well. It's realhealth at independent.ie at carlhenrypt on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you wouldn't mind, do leave us a little uh, a review and a rating on, uh, on the podcast platforms as well because everyone helps. Have a wonderful week and I shall see you next week. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of The Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry.